Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, the Sermon on the Mount isn't about biochemistry, so you'll be spared that part. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, we're in the second week of a series which we've called The King's Speech, in which we delve into the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a talk, or perhaps a series of talks, that Jesus gave to his disciples. It was early on in his ministry, and he was giving them what the... Um, Introducing them to the standards for the kingdom that he was bringing in, the character he expects of the disciples, and uh, the citizens of this kingdom. So, the king's speech. So, what makes you really happy? Is it seeing a good friend that you haven't seen for a long while, and uh, who unexpectedly turns up? Is it uh, finding that spring has actually arrived? Um, is it falling in love? Is it a surprise celebration for you? Um, when you sense that people really appreciate you? Is it a finding a place where you can relax and find freedom from stress for a while? Perhaps you can't think of anything right now, and that's okay. We all go through times when we're just so uh, depressed that nothing seems to make us happy. But um, in that case, no worries, because the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus is giving it a kind of um, self-help seminar on how to find happiness. And... um, We often refer to this section as the Beatitudes, which simply means the blessings, because Jesus is giving a series of statements, which are blessings. In other words, things that make us happy. That's basically what it is. So Bill introduced it last week, this section, the Beatitudes. Uh, Cheryl is going to finish next week, and I'm in the middle here. So let's just read through, I'll read through you, for you, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, or happy, are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this week we're looking at three of these um, recipes for happiness and uh, concentrating on the first of those three. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, um, these 
Beatitudes of Jesus, these short sayings, are a bit of a surprise because they indicate that the way to happiness is different than the way we often think about it. Um, Because blessedness means happiness. The Beatitudes are a list of countercultural ways to actually find happiness. And in this verse, um, verse 6, the surprise is that the way to happiness is righteousness. That's not the recipe that's usually given for happiness, is it? Actually, that statement of mine isn't strictly true, because the surprise is that the way to happiness is to hunger and thirst. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, Jesus said we're to be poor in spirit. He said we're to mourn. He said we're to be gentle. He said we're to be merciful. He said we're to be pure in heart. He said we're to be peacemakers. But then he says we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the blessing in this beatitude, the blessed in this beatitude are not the righteous. It's for the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that puts quite a different kind of slant on it for us as we try and think, how do we relate to this saying of Jesus? And so that brings me to another question that I have to ask you this morning, and that is, what do you hunger and thirst for? It's, uh, you know, the simple answer is, okay, food and water, uh, food and drink. Um, But that doesn't apply for most of us, I don't think. I was just trying to think, when's the last time I was really hungry? And I have to, I think I have to go back many, many years, time when I was hitchhiking through Europe and uh, somehow I'd managed to miss my supper, was camping at night somewhere out in the wilds and uh, where I got dropped off. There was nowhere to eat anywhere near. I was looking around for berries, couldn't find any. (laughs) I was hungry, right? But the point is that for most of us, that maybe doesn't communicate very well to us because we're not really starving, most of us. We don't have that really strong feeling of hunger. So let me put it a little differently. Um, What do you crave? Right? Is it... uh, you sometimes crave a smoke, you crave a joint, you crave a drink, you crave sex, or perhaps you might be in pain and you crave to just be free from that, just be free to be able to relax without that trouble. Perhaps you're struggling financially and you crave to just the freedom to be able to relax, knowing that you have enough to get through the next month and the next year and perhaps the next of your li- the rest of your life. Or perhaps you crave a boat or an RV or 4x4 or one of those other toys that we tend to go for for our recreation. You know, most of us really, really want summer to get here. <laughs> I know. And uh, I know there are some people here who like snow, but 
you know, you can have too much of a good thing, don't you think? And most people would agree with that. Um, you know, how can you golf when there's snow on the ground, right? And there's no one here who's craving to golf, right? Yep. Craving. You know, Jesus said that a true happiness comes from craving righteousness. A true happiness comes from craving righteousness. So if he's correct in that statement, then perhaps we need to think how we can divert some of our desire towards righteousness. Now, if we're going to think about doing that, we need to think about what righteousness really is. We don't talk too much about righteousness. It's one of those words that uh, is really dropping out of normal vocabulary, the way sin's dropping out. It's one of those words that's mentioned in sermons like this or in church circles, in small groups, but not in our normal life. We just don't talk about righteousness. So what does it really mean? Um, I found a quote by Wearsby that I thought was a nice way of putting it. To be righteous means to be right. Right with God, right with self, and right with others. I think that's a, a nice summary. So a true righteousness comes from craving, sorry, a true happiness comes from craving this righteousness, craving to be right with God, with no sin, spoiling the peace and joy and the awe of that relationship. Right with self, where the self we think we are is who we really are, and we're at peace with who we are. And right with others, where who they see is who they get, and what they get is love. So Jesus said later in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, he's talked about the things we need, food and clothing, will be yours as well. Our craving needs to be for God and a right character first of all, and then our other needs will be taken care of. So let's go even a little more deeply into this meaning of righteousness. So first, it's not... uh, the common idea of piety, right, of of being religious, the accepted behavior, habits, and appearance of the religious people wearing particular types of clothing um, or hairstyle or makeup. You know, we're a religious community here as a church, right? That's what we are, we're a religious community. And we tend to tend to be a little bit more conservative than regular society. We tend towards being a bit more conservative on our dress, a bit more conservative in our hairstyles, right? I don't see any too much wild hairstyles around here, right? We tend towards conservative behavior, and that might require a bit of self-discipline, but it doesn't reveal much about the heart, doesn't reveal much about the work of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, later in the sermon, and I hope I'm not stealing any of my 
thunder, but later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, here's the way Wearsby put it in commenting on this. And I really like the way he, he puts that together. A mere external piety, born of pride, and nurtured by the praise of men, is not holiness. No, many of our religious or uh, good habits are a response to the expectations of other people. We want the approval of other people, not their disapproval. And uh, it doesn't have a lot to do with the heart or righteousness. That's the, just the way it is. We try to conform. We want to be accepted. Other people to say, wow, that's nice. You're nice. I like you. You know? Yeah. So second, righteousness, it touches all of life. You know, whether seen by others or not, whether internal or external. Blessed, Jesus said, just one beatitude further on, Blessed are the pure in heart. So purity has a kind of double meaning. One meaning of purity is um, like no impurities there, no sin there. It's just, there's none of that evil there, right? That's one. But another meaning is being of a single kind, just of one solid kind. There's no distortion there. It's not divided. And uh, so there's a lot of thought here, I think, of that, of singleness of heart for God. So a single heart for God, I mean, that's, in a sense, it's a simple idea to understand, but to me, I think it's difficult in the extreme to practice. I don't know if, I think that's probably all our experience, right? Simple thought, but just seems totally impossible to practice. We're sensitive to what we do around other people, and you know we've developed acceptable ways of, of, of relating to people in various different situations that we come into in our family. We know how far we can go, which is usually quite a bit further than other situations, right, in our family. Then at work, we know how to behave and how to appear so that we're accepted, we fit in, we don't rock the boat too much. We don't get too much pushback. Um, so so we've, de- we've developed ways that we feel comfortable in all these different situations we're in. But an awareness of God observing us all the time, that's really hard. Because that's from the first thought in the morning when we wake up till our last thought in bed before we fall asleep and everything in between. And, uh, you know, I'm not a very righteous person. God observes it all, every minute of the day. And most of the day, I ignore him. Uh, And he doesn't impose himself on me when I ignore him. So a lot of every day, I go through it without really being aware of God saying to me, yes, well done, or saying, Peter, I don't like that. 
So working on being righteous um, is something, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're going to want righteousness right through our life, a singleness of life, a purity of our life. Right. We're going to try and extend righteousness to more and more areas of our life. And that means talking to God about what we're doing more than we have been doing. It means more quick prayers during the day saying, God, help me in this situation. And uh, just trying to both to bring God into our lives and to remind ourselves that, yep, he's there with me. It's all difficult, isn't it? That kind of stuff is just really difficult. And so that's why I think that Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because blessed are those who are righteous. Who, who fits into that category? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a little more attainable for us. Uh, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said, we will filled. We will be filled. In other words, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will become more righteous. So, third, righteousness is not simply an inward matter of our hearts. It includes our relationships. You know, are we actively maintaining peace with those we have relationships with? Um, Sorry, lost my parts. Okay. (laughs) You know, are we just hoping that the frictions of our relationships will dissipate with time? That's the way it seems we often go. We just hope they'll disappear, right? You know, uh, a kitchen filled with smoke, it'll be unpleasant for a long time unless we open the windows, right? We had one incident like that the other day. Yeah. So unless you take the initiative to open the windows and let the fresh air in, and if you don't do that, then over time the kitchen will tend to get yellowed and greasy and smelly. So godliness doesn't come by withdrawing from people, but from intentional, positive interaction. There's a place for solitude and extended time with God. Uh, But not as a substitute for trying to heal a difficult relationship. So fourth, righteousness goes even beyond our relationships with others, and this is a little bit of a surprise. It's even concerned with matters in our community, beyond our own relationships. Because the blessing of verse 9 in the Beatitudes uh, is something of a surprise, because it implies our community responsibility. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Why called sons of God? Because God, one of his great characteristics is that he's a peacemaker. And he's not just enjoying a close relationship within the Trinity, you know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
a nice, warm, cozy relationship. God fundamentally is someone who reaches out. He reached out to reconcile us to himself, and then he gave us the same ministry of reconciliation. So to reconcile, to try and reconcile other people, that's a godlike quality. It makes us children of God. Whether we're enabling others to find peace in their relationship with God or in their relationships with other people. So it includes both evangelism and looking wider into the community. And just as the ministry of God as a peacemaker came at terrible price for him in terms of his son dying on the cross, so a ministry of reconciliation can be very costly for us. It means reaching out into other people's battles and probably suffering in the process when we do so. Have you noticed that peacemakers are few? You know, everyone is concerned when hostilities arise, whether on an international level or on a personal level. Um, They were all ready to talk about the situation, even pray about the situation. But, you know, few of us actually engage to make peace. You know, on the political system, it seems like our whole political system is, is made to promote division instead of to promote peace, right? So politicians use the mistakes of others to promote division instead of trying to bring uh, working together. And on a personal level, you know, when it comes to marriages facing crises, for example, you know, we're all concerned to give support to the partner that we know, or we know best, and to pray for the situation, asking for God to intervene. But few purposefully remain neutral, and themselves get involved with both sides, to actively promote a peaceful resolution. Peacemakers are few. And perhaps because those who would be peacemakers often lose the trust of both sides, they can be seen as enemies by both sides, and they'll have to face barbs and slander from both sides. That's just, that's what happens when you're dealing with people who are under stress, and having trouble. So those who would be peacemakers must be prepared for failure, must be prepared to be misunderstood, be prepared to be personally attacked, and I really admire those who have significant ministries in this area. They have a godlike ministry. They're children of God. So, so righteousness encompasses our personal life, our relationship, our relationships in our community. And Jesus tells us that we'll be happy if we hunger and thirst for it. There's a, I was just on my way in, I passed the bookstall there, was here a few minutes early, so I looked at the books there and picked this one up and thought I haven't seen that before and it's Art's Desire by James Houston so I just looked at the back and here's a quote for my sermon (laughs) 
Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Desire, writes James Houston, is the throbbing pulse of human life. What we long for determines the scope of our experiences, the depth of our insights, the standards by which we judge, and the responsibility with which we choose our values. Wow. Yeah. So, Jesus said, hunger and thirst for righteousness. But, that's wonderful for some people, because there are probably a few people here who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, it's wonderful for them, but poses a question for the rest of us who are not sure that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, yeah? Uh, is there any hope for us? <laughs> is there any hope to join this little select group of people who really hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or are we just stuck with admiring them from a distance? Well, perhaps we can get a bit of help from the comparison with food, because Jesus said hunger and thirst. You know, when you, um, you spend a day outside, uh, maybe working in the yard or just hard physical work out in the fields, or you've been out hiking or who knows what, skiing or whatever, and you come home, and you come inside and you smell good food. Yeah? And you think, mmm, doesn't that smell good? I didn't even know I was hungry. <laughs> and suddenly you really feel hungry, right, from the smell of the good food. So maybe the same is true of righteousness, because when I get around a really good person, I find the desire arises in myself to become more righteous myself. I think, yeah, someone's done it. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, there's an example I can follow. And at least in me, that awakens in me a little bit of a desire for greater righteousness. And uh, so spend time with someone that you know, that you admire for their righteousness, for their goodness, just because they're a lovely person. Just with spend time with them in a group or just even individually chat with them over coffee at the back if there's anyone who fits the, fits the mold here this morning. You know, and perhaps it'll help your hunger for, hunger for righteousness to grow. Another way, of course, is to spend time with God, real time with God. You know, uh, especially kind of reviewing our day, reviewing our life, reviewing our sin, confessing our sin, but also just looking at who God is. This is a, you know, you can't help at this point quote that passage in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah had that incredible experience of being in the temple seeing the glory of God in the temple again he uh, he just said uh, woe is me I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty 
It's just uh, he realized his lack of righteousness. It increased his dire desire to be righteousness. So, spending time in the presence of God, I mean actively looking at him, reviewing your life, spending time with godly people that you come across and that you admire, and that's all I came up with in terms of ideas to help you grow in righteousness. If you have some ideas of yourself, uh, pass them on to me over coffee. I'd be interested to hear. Or with someone else over coffee. Just what your experience has been. Because if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll certainly, even if slowly, train ourselves in righteousness. Not to perfection. We're not going to find that real perfection until we meet Jesus face to face and we're free of the constraints of this body. But uh, perhaps to the point where others will seek us out and try and spend time with us because they just think, just because righteousness is attractive. Let's pray, shall we? Oh Lord, you know our hearts and uh, you know what's in there. You know what's lacking so that we can be good citizens of your kingdom, so that we can be your disciples. And uh, you know what's lacking in our desire for that too. But Lord, this morning we just put ourselves before you and say, Lord, ignite a bit of passion in us, a bit of a hunger in us for the kind of righteousness that you showed when you lived among us. So that we can better represent you here. So that we can better spread your glory. So that your love will be spread in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.